Today's episode of This Week I Learned is brought to you by the 400 horsepower Lincoln MKZ and the Lincoln MKZ Hybrid. Which will you choose? Hello and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen. This week I learned that the best response to failure is to let those emotions fly. A new study found that responding to failure with feelings rather than thought helps you improve your results the next time you tackle a similar task. Researchers from the University of Kansas conducted three experiments using undergraduates as volunteers. In one, the students were asked to find the cheapest blender online. If they found the lowest price, they'd win 50 bucks. They were to report their findings into a computer, but the results were rigged. The computer would always find a blender that was cheaper by $3. Half of the group was told to focus on the emotions they felt as they realized they didn't win the seemingly easy task. The other half was told to rationalize their failure. In a follow-up task, the emotional group exerted more effort than the thinkers. What's going on here is that the cognitive response ends up being counterproductive. Instead, allowing yourself to feel bad or to focus on negative emotions helps guide your future decisions into a more positive direction. These findings can be especially helpful because some of us have the natural tendency to suppress emotions after failure. But if this study is right, you just gotta let them out. Don't fear the feelings. Science tells us so. This week I learned that container ships are influencing the weather out in the open ocean. Researchers out of the University of Washington in Seattle noticed a weird pattern of lightning strikes. There were twice as many lightning strikes along two straight lines that passed through the East Indian Ocean and the South China Sea. And that was compared to all the surrounding areas. And those two lines just happen to be the busiest shipping lanes in the world. After ruling out other factors like wind speed and temperatures, the researchers were able to conclude that it was the aerosols from the ship's engine exhausts that was igniting the lightning. The reason that aerosols have this electric effect is that the particles from the exhaust act as seeds, which attracts water vapor, which then condenses into cloud droplets. Now in clean air, there aren't as many seeds, which means there isn't enough cloud formation to do much more than rain. But when there are lots of seeds from aerosols, like over busy shipping routes, a mass of cloud drops can form. These aerosol clouds tend to be light, so they'll rise higher into the atmosphere and freeze into ice-filled clouds. And it's these ice clouds that create such intense thunderstorms. That's because lightning only occurs if clouds are electrically charged. And this only happens if there are lots of ice crystals. 
While this research provides a pretty direct link between pollution and its effect on weather and climate, the findings can't be correlated to land pollution. Because on land, there are just a lot more factors at play. In the open ocean, you basically have pretty pristine skies and whatever passes below. So out here, the container ship's influence is much more pronounced. This week I learned that giraffes did not get their long necks for the reason you'd expect. The expected evolutionary reason for that elegant neck is to better access that delicious foliage from the tops of trees. But this, it turns out, is just one hypothesis. Giraffes are the tallest animals on land, and their unusually long necks can reach up to six feet. But fossil evidence has shown that giraffes at one time had much shorter necks. So the question is, what made them stretch over time? It was the French naturalist Jean-Baptiste Lamarck who, in 1809, first suggested that the giraffe's long neck evolved because it was always striving to reach food. But curiously, not all giraffes favor such high foliage. So there's another hypothesis that suggests the neck length helps exhibit sexual prowess. Giraffes compete for females by whacking each other with their necks, something that's referred to as necking. The giraffe with the longer neck is usually the winner, so those long-necked males are the ones passing on their genes. But there's a third hypothesis. Those long necks help the giraffe regulate its heat. Giraffes have a body shape that is long and narrow, which is called dolichomorphic. And a benefit to this body shape is that giraffes have less body surface facing the sun, taking in heat. If the sun is angled toward the giraffe's side, where it does have the most body surface, it can simply turn its flat side away from the direct sunlight. This isn't necessarily a new theory. It's been around since the 60s, but new research seems to confirm the shape of the giraffe's body does indeed help the mammal stay cool. And when you think about other rounder animals, like the hippo, for example, which is basically cylindrical, that sun will hit a similar amount of body surface no matter where it's shining, which is probably why it spends so much time in the water. But the giraffe, being a land animal, needs another tool to help it stay cool. And by this scientific research, that long, slender neck is a part of a giraffe's natural air conditioning system. This week I learned about the town in Alaska that is completely overrun by bald eagles. Unalaska, Alaska is a small town situated on the Aleutian Islands, a chain of islands that sticks out from Alaska right into the Bering Sea. There are less than 5,000 permanent residents living in Unalaska, but there are an estimated 500 to 800 bald eagles. Bald eagles may be majestic and rare creatures to the rest of us, but for Unalaska residents, America's national bird is kind of a nuisance. These bald eagles are so amazing and we love seeing them, but when they're involved in your daily life, they can make running errands or your work really difficult. That's a clip from a delightful video from the good people at Great Big Story, who interviewed local Unalaska residents about their regular run-ins with bald eagles. Because if you start asking around, everyone has an eagle story. 
There's a nest of them by the post office. So during the summer months in particular, when the eagles are nesting and are very territorial, people have been dive bombed by eagles on their way to mail a package. One kid was walking down the street eating a piece of pizza when an eagle swooped down and made off with a slice. Bald eagles are raptors and they have these sharp, flesh-ripping beaks and talons that have been known to lacerate the heads of Unalaska residents if they got too close. And the thing is, Unalaskans can't do much about it. The bald eagle became the national symbol way back in 1782 when it was placed on the Great Seal of the United States. It was an unofficial recognition at first and not everyone was pleased. Ben Franklin said the bald eagle had, quote, bad moral character. And if it were up to him, the national bird would have been the turkey. Sure, it's vain and maybe a little silly, but the turkey was, according to Franklin, a more respectable bird, and at the very least, a true native of America. Alas, the bald eagle prevailed and got its official designation as our national symbol in 1787. 150 years later, the American bald eagle became protected under the National Emblem Act of 1940. This prevented anyone from hunting, abusing, or interfering with the bird in any way. So the good people of Unalaska have to just mind their business when it comes to this symbol of American strength, freedom, and beauty. Now, the reason this small town is so overrun by bald eagles is due to its main industry, fishing. Unalaska has one of the most productive fishing ports in all of the United States. And fish, naturally, are a staple of the bald eagle's diet. So between the boats, the processors, and the garbage created by fishing, the eagles have a year-round feast at their disposal. But what's exacerbated the eagle problem is Unalaska's lack for space for the eagles. Eagles usually nest in trees, but Unalaska has no trees. Instead, eagles raise chicks on the tundra or on cliffs. These nests are a lot more accessible to people, which makes the eagles a lot more territorial. The town's deputy police chief estimates that between six and 10 people a year seek medical attention from eagle encounters. These are usually head wounds that can require stitches. But all things considered, Unalaskans remain pretty good-natured about their pesky-winged neighbors. Do I think they're pests? Oh, absolutely. But they're cool pests, so that's okay. They make a mess of my boat, which is kind of the, the bad part. But they are a national bird, and we love them anyway. So, should you find yourself in Unalaska? Well, consider yourself warned. Heed the safety signs, keep your head down, and you may look, but don't you dare go near those majestic predators. And that does it for this episode of This Week I Learned. Look out for new episodes every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you'd like to read more about the facts I've mentioned or check out that video about the Alaskan town overrun by bald eagles, head on over to theweek.com slash podcasts. And if you've come across any fascinating tidbits, surprising studies, or historical revelations that you'd like to share, get in touch. You can email me at podcasts at theweek.com. Just put podcasts in the subject, both singular and plural will get you there. Until next time, I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>